the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. This chapter also describes the redeeming work of God in our lives, in the immediate, in the present tense. Isaiah 35 is an encouragement to us that God is a God who brings forth good things out of our desert experiences, that he is in the habit of rescuing, restoring, and redeeming lives out of dry, desolate places. He will make the desert bloom once again, and he will replace the sorrow and sighing with gladness and joy. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah, broken, destitute, famished, and helpless. These are but a few of the descriptors that the prophet Isaiah used concerning the state of Israel, having turned their back on God. Interestingly enough, in a spiritual sense, these same words can be applied to this very day. In today's message, Pastor Gary will teach you that while Isaiah 35 is rather gloomy in nature, we can actually take it as encouragement as believers. In his study, you'll be reminded that God is in the business of restoration and redemption. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, as he begins his message, Out of the Desert. Today we're going to look here at Isaiah, chapter 35. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Don't worry, it's only 10 verses, so don't wig out. Like, When's he going to be done? I have another service behind you, so I've got to watch the time anyway. But 10 verses is all it is. I'm going to read all 10 verses. Here we go. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come, and he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped, and then, they will, then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. 
and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return, and they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Well, Isaiah named a prophet. That's because he often speaks and then writes prophetic things. And in chapter 35 here, Isaiah is writing prophetically. Now, Bible scholars will tell you that a lot of times when you read prophecy, particularly in the Old Testament, it has a dual meaning. That is to say that a lot of times you read Old Testament prophecy, it has both a near and a far interpretation. In other words, biblical prophecy often contains an immediate and a future context. And that's what's going on in this chapter. So let me just briefly talk about the future context, and then we're going to primarily be looking at the more immediate context of this chapter. The future context is this. Isaiah is writing about the millennial kingdom. Most Bible scholars are agreed that what he's writing about here is very unusual because it doesn't fit with the current events of Isaiah's day. In Isaiah's day, the Assyrians are threatening to come against and have already taken Israel to the north, now threatening the south. Babylon will eventually come and take the south, the southern kingdom. God's people will be dispersed, although God always knows where the Jewish people are, and he's regathered them and is still regathering his people. But that said, this doesn't fit with that context, because Isaiah is talking about a bright day, a glorious day, a happy day, a day when gladness and joy overtake people and sorrow and sighing flee away, a day when the desert blooms, when there's great fruitfulness in the land. And so most Bible scholars are agreed that what he's writing about here in future prophetic terms is about the millennial kingdom, the time after Christ returns to earth and when he rules and reigns from Jerusalem for a thousand years, it'll be like this. Everything's going to be in bloom. People are going to be rejoicing. It's going to be a, a grand and glorious day of, of joy and peace. So that is the far prophetic context. And the reason why Isaiah writes this way about how things that were once barren and desolate like a desert will once again become fruitful is because the millennial kingdom follows the tribulation. Revelation 6 to 18 gives in great detail about how the earth will be devastated by God. It's going to be God's last call for people to wake up and respond to him. But in the process, it'll take a tremendous toll on the earth and among people. The earth will become devastated. It'll end up being basically like a, a wasteland, just, a, just a, a barren, desolate land. But part of what will happen when Christ returns is that he will cause all that which is barren and desolate and like a desert to once again bloom, that the difficulty and the hardship and the tribulation is over. Now Christ has come onto the scene, and so that which was desolate, barren, and like a desert will bloom again, and God's people who have come through this tribulation, and God, the saints who have returned with Christ, who rule and reign with Him, will now be entering Zion with singing, and gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So that is, and yes, and amen to that, that is going to be a glorious day of rejoicing 
and how wonderful it will be during that millennial kingdom. That's the future interpretation of this chapter. But now there's a more immediate context to this story too. We all go through desert experiences from time to time. This chapter has another narrative that is meaningful for us even now. From time to time, all of us will experience the wilderness when life gets tough and our spiritual lives seem dry and we feel feeble and weak, just like the people are described in verses 3 and 4 in this text, feeble and weak and fearful. Life has a way of creating similar conditions. And this chapter not only describes the redeeming work of God in response to the tribulation that will come upon the earth, that's future, this chapter also describes the redeeming work of God in our lives, in the immediate, in the present tense. Isaiah 35 is an encouragement to us that God is a God who brings forth good things out of our desert experiences, that he is in the habit of rescuing, restoring, and redeeming lives out of dry, desolate places. He will make the desert bloom once again, and he will replace the sorrow and sighing with gladness and joy. Now, it's been said, and I, I have found this to be true in my own life, and I'm sure many of you could agree to this. It's been said that everybody's in a storm to some degree. You're either in a storm or you've just come out of a storm or you're heading into one. So I don't know where you are among the three. You know, maybe it's okay now, but trust me, at some point, life has a way of throwing curveballs and you might end up in a storm at some point. Or maybe you're just now coming out of one and you're just kind of recovering from it. Or now you're presently in one. Today's Bible study is going to be for those of you in a storm or those of you heading into one. And I, I know, listen, not all of us are in that place, but you might want to at least take some notes and tuck this sermon away for at some point, you're likely to get into a storm in your life. And it's a good thing to remember that God is in the habit of rescuing, redeeming, and restoring people through their desert experiences. In the early 1900s, there was a couple by the name of Charles and Letty Kalman who were faithful missionaries to Japan and China, early 1900s. They faithfully served for 18 years on the mission field until Charles Cowan took ill and his declining health forced the couple to return to the United States, where Mrs. Cowan took care of her ailing husband for six years until he died in 1924. She suffered with him because she watched him die slowly in tremendous pain and agony. And during those six years that Mrs. Cowan was her husband's caretaker, she just pressed into the Lord even more. And she, through her life experiences and her heartache of watching her husband suffer and then eventually die, and also to record the fellowship, the sweet fellowship she had with the Lord through that very difficult time. She wrote a book of daily devotionals that was first published in 1925 called Streams in the Desert. It's still published today. More than 90 years, this book, 366 daily devotional readings, first published by Mrs. Letty Kalman, 
1925, still in publication today. Birthed out of her own personal desperate desert experience, watching her husband die, taking care of him in the last six years of his life. But she wrote of the tender and wonderful ways that God ministered to her like streams in a desert. And this book of daily devotionals, she said, was inspired by reading right here in Isaiah 35, verse 6. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Here's a sampling of some of the things that Letty Kalman wrote in her devotional book, Streams in the Desert. Quote, Never look ahead to the changes and challenges of this life in fear. Instead, as they arise, look at them with the full assurance that God, whose you are, will deliver you out of them. Hasn't he kept you safe up to now? So hold his loving hand tightly, and he will lead you safely through all things. And when you cannot stand, he will carry you in his arms. She also wrote this, quote, Christians with the most spiritual depth are generally those who have been taken through the most intense and deeply anguishing fires of the soul. If you have been praying to know more of Christ, do not be surprised if he leads you through the desert or through a furnace of pain. She also said this, Trust God's word and his power more than you trust your own feelings and experiences. Remember, your rock is Christ. And it is the sea that ebbs and flows with the tides, not him. She also wrote, Jesus Christ is not my security against the storms of life, but he is my perfect security in the storms. He has never promised me an easy passage, only a safe landing, end quote. I'm going to refer to some other things that she wrote. This is a wonderful devotional book. If you don't have it, you should consider getting it. But first, in our Bible study here from Isaiah 35, I want to share with you four things that God brings out of the desert. Out of our own desert experiences, there are four things that Isaiah writes about here that come as a result of our going through the desert. Verses 1 and 2. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, and they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Note that. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. The first thing out of the desert come God's glory and splendor. Think of all the many times in the Bible, and perhaps even in your own life, when God's glory and splendor was most on display. I think you would agree with me that it's when he showed himself strong on behalf of his people because they were facing some difficulty, crisis, or impossible situation. How else can we really see the glory and splendor of God but that we go through from time to time difficulties where his glory and splendor then is revealed? Think of different examples in the Bible. Think of the Israelites when they left slavery after 400 years in Egypt. God miraculously delivers them, and then they get stuck at the border of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind and brings the army of Egypt against them, and now they're stuck with great fear, but trapped between the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's pursuing Egyptian army on the other. 
And this is when God spoke through Moses saying, if you people just stand still, you're going to see the mighty hand of God. And God did rescue them, and God parted the Red Sea, and God took care of the pursuit of the Egyptian army. But it was in this moment of despair and fear that God showed himself strong. And if they hadn't gotten in that situation, which obviously God allowed providentially, they would never have seen then the display of God's power. Sometimes the difficulties that we go through are an opportunity for God to display his goodness and his power and his glory and his splendor. Think about Hannah in the Bible. Here's Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel, unable to conceive. She couldn't have kids. It was the cry of her heart. She would go into the temple of the Lord, 1 Samuel 1.11, and she had one simple prayer. Look upon your servant's misery and remember me. And she prayed that over and over and over again. Finally, it says in 1 Samuel 1.20, so in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. But it wasn't immediate. It was in the course of time. There were long, many years of agony just waiting and waiting and waiting. Why is it sometimes that God delays? So that his glory and splendor can be displayed. Sometimes God is not immediate in the way that he responds to us. Because in the waiting, in the delay, there is the opportunity for the display of his glory and of his splendor. In the New Testament, there was a man born blind, sitting in Jerusalem, begging. Jesus' own disciples looked at this guy begging and said to Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, in those days, they believed this false doctrine of the law of retribution. That every ailment and every problem you have in your life must be due to sin, either yours, or your parents, or somebody's. And Jesus responds and corrects them in John chapter 9. He said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but this happened that the power of God might be displayed in his life. Now, he was an adult man, and he'd been blind all his life. He'd gone many, many years blind until this one moment then that Jesus heals him. Mix a little mud and spit together, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and then he can see and his eyes are open. But all those years he was waiting and begging and seeking God. But if he hadn't experienced the waiting, the blindness, how would he have ever seen the glory and the splendor of God? Even Paul, the Apostle Paul in his own life, went through something that is unnamed in the Bible, some condition that he just simply describes as my thorn in the flesh. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12 that he prayed to God three times, take this away from me, take it away from me, whatever the condition was. And God responded by not taking it away, but by saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want, but he reveals his glory in the fact that he's a keeping God. And God said to Paul, this may not go away, but I will never go away either. And I will keep you through it. And I will sustain you through this. And when Paul realized that, then he responded there in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul realized, okay, this may not go away, but God's going to reveal his glory and splendor in my situation, in my desert experience, because he's a keeping God who will sustain me. And all these examples and many more in the Bible 
These people would never have seen the glory and splendor of God if they hadn't been in a difficult or impossible situation. And the same is true for you and me. We can't really experience the full extent of God's glory and splendor without trials and tribulations in life. That's one thing that comes out of the desert. Number two, we see here in Isaiah 53, out of the desert comes God's strength. Look at verses 3 through 6. In verse 3, he says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Now, I want you to notice in my Bibles, I just started to underline all the different parts of the body that are mentioned here in these verses. In verse 3, we have hands and knees. In verse 4, we have hearts. In verse 5, we have eyes and ears, and in verse 6, we have tongues. So we have hands, knees, hearts, eyes, ears, and tongue. This is like the divine equivalent of that nursery rhyme about head and shoulders, knees, and toes. That's what we're singing here in Isaiah 35. Well, in other words, it's God's way of saying that I will strengthen every part of you, every part of you, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Letty Kalman in her book, Streams in the Desert, would write this. She said, quote, God knows that you can withstand your trial or else he would not have given it to you. His trust in you explains the trials of your life, no matter how severe they may be. God knows your strength and he measures it to the last inch. Remember, no trial has ever been given to anyone that was greater than that person's strength through God to endure it, end quote. Out of the desert comes God's strength. He will uphold us with his righteous right hand. He will never fail us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. When you feel like you are at your absolute end of the rope, God is there stronger still, holding us. Number three, out of the desert comes God's refreshing. You'll notice verses six and seven. The latter part of verse 6 says, Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. Now again, in your Bibles, highlight or underline all those different words used to describe the same thing. Water, then also in verse 6, streams. In verse 7, pool and springs. So you have all this reference here to, to liquid, to water, water, streams, pools, springs. And water, we all know this, is a matter of survival. We all need water to survive. In fact, depending on the conditions, scientists, doctors say that a person can't go more than a few days or at most one week without water. It is a matter of survival. But water is also something that soothes, isn't it? Water is, has a very soothing element to it. You know, like a, an outdoor water fountain or a lake or, or a pond or just the sound of the ocean. How many of you love water? You just love the soothing, just love water. I'm married to a woman who, she loves water. Oh my goodness. Oh, this girl, any, a pool, a stream, a river, a lake, the ocean, any, she just loves anything water. Oh,
The Old Testament book of Isaiah is a powerful text filled with prophecy, history, and the grandeur of your Creator. God uses Isaiah to teach the Israelites about who He is and what He expects from those who call Him Lord. He also warns them against coming consequences of their actions, giving them the opportunity to repent and come back to Him. Isaiah also tells of a coming salvation, the child who would one day die for the sins of every person on earth, the Son of God, Jesus. There's much more to learn from Isaiah, so we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching from Pastor Gary, you can listen again online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well allowing you to take these messages with you on the go. Find the link to download at our website or search for the Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday. And child care is available. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know